Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. This is going to be a podcast which is basically spearheaded by co-host Eric Holmes. He interviews Michael Pickle, the director behind this movie that he's creating called The Dead Place. The Dead Place will be available via an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign starting October 4th, and we will have links. It is a Michael Pickle film. We will have links where you can actually learn a little bit more about the movie and the crowdfunding campaign, or better yet, you can actually listen to Eric Holmes' interview with Michael Pickle. Pickle's also biasly a person that we all love because he's a fellow podcaster. He has a horror podcast where he, in, where he and his co-hosts interview horror filmmakers and, and the like. So check that out as well. All, the, all of that kind of, we're going to have the links available on our Find Your Film show notes. So yeah, that'd be very cool. Again, October 4th on Indiegogo, Eric Holmes, ever since we started Find Your Film, he's been very passionate about spotlighting filmmakers who are raising money for their prospective, respective crowdfunding campaigns. And I'm glad he actually tracked down Michael Pickle for this interview. So it should be a very interesting interview because he talks about his inspiration behind this movie. And actually, what's interesting is he, this, the Dead Place is actually inspired by his own life, something that happened to him. And from there, he decided to go on that journey to learn about the nuts and bolts of filmmaking to now on the present day, finally having the tools, the filmmaking tools to actually get his dream in place for the Dead Place. All right. So that is enough of that. Check out the interview with Eric Holmes shortly. After that, I tagged on a very, like a brief one, a seven to eight minute just discussion of Vesper that none of you, probably 99.9% of you will not understand because we want you to understand Vesper is a sci-fi movie that I absolutely, absolutely love. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, not all-time favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies of this year. I gave it five stars. Bruce and Eric gave it four and a half stars. This is, Vesper is available. It's actually out in theaters as of this recording, but it's available as well on demand. So, yeah, check Vesper, Vesper out on demand. If you have already seen it, you've done your homework so you can actually listen and understand what we're talking about regarding the ending of Vesper and our respective interpretation. Okay, so that is it for this HodgePod. First part, Eric Holmes and Michael Pickle discussion regarding the dead place. And then finally, a very brief discussion regarding the ending of that awesome, awesome sci-fi film. Vesper, please, please, please look this up. V-E-S-P-E-R, Vesper. That movie really rocks. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to me, Bruce and Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky, that is. Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes on Find Your Film. Talk to you guys soon. We will be taping an episode of Find Your Film later this week, midweek, for some new movies to review. One of these movies I'm going to tease. It's a movie called Project Wolf Hunting. So three movies to get under your skin. The Dead Place for crowdfunding, Indiegogo, The Dead Place. Number two, Vesper. And number three, with a friggin' bullet, Project Witch Hunting. We will be talking about that this week on Find Your Film. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Uh, my name's Eric, and I'm here with uh, Mike Pickle. How's it going, Mike? Thanks for showing up. Doing pretty good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so you have a uh, crowdfunder coming up uh, called The Dead Place, as I have in my background there. Um, Thank you for that. What, um, what what can you tell us about it? I, I've seen so I've seen some of your uh, uh, shorts that you have on uh, on YouTube, and I gotta say, first of all, you have a guy Elliot 
Oh yeah. <laughs> who's uh probably one of the uh, greatest gems I've ever found on the internet. <laughs> but uh would, why don't you tell us a little bit about the dead place and kind of uh just the overall what you want to uh accomplish with that. Uh, uh, the Dead Place is a demonic slasher. Uh, it's an, actually a script that I wrote back in back between 2006 and 2008 because I went to a, a haunted asylum. It's supposed to be haunted in Downey, and I had this really frightening experience afterwards, and it, it inspired me to write this script. So I started uh, learning filmmaking over the over the past 15 years since I wrote it because uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to film it as a beginner director. So I knew I had to learn the ropes first. So, uh, uh, it's a demonic slasher. It's like a, uh, it's got drama. It's got action. It has uh practical effects. Uh, David Howard Thornton from, uh, he plays art, the clown on terrifier. Okay. We got him as our villain, the new kid. And he's like, uh, he's like a, uh, representative of the demon that's haunting the main character. And uh, so when he gets mad, he mutates, his mouth drops open, he's got this big, huge tongue and a bunch of teeth. So we have uh, Robert Bravo doing all the practical effects. Awesome. So uh, we've got a really good cast. Uh, you mentioned Elliot. Elliot was the host of my horror variety show. So he's he's a gem. I, I want to use him on everything that I do. So he's going to play a psychiatrist in the movie. Uh, the movie explores themes like, it explores bullying, but not in the way it's usually explored. Like uh the bullies don't know that they're bullies uh and the main character when they try to bully him he's not one to be bullied so he kind of strikes back pretty quickly but uh it's this evil force that's constantly uh influencing him to to kill and st- and and pushing him toward a bloodbath and that's that's pushes him toward the climax and then and the climax is where all the action and all the horror comes in but but throughout the throughout the whole thing it's like uh uh, it's moody and atmospheric, and it's going to have uh, David Howard Thornton kind of stalking the whole movie, kind of uh, coming in and, and throwing a wrench in everything that they try to do to stop them. Yeah. So uh, I, I saw that on your uh, Facebook page, um, you moved from Seed and Spark to Indiegogo. Is there any big reason that you did that or anything you can say about that? Well, uh one of our producers, uh, Steve Deering, he did uh, he did script coverage on the John Wick films and Darkest Hour, and all that. So uh, when he came in, he had just done three successful campaigns on Seed and Spark, so that's where his experience was. And uh, we also saw an opportunity to stand out on the platform because there's not that many horror projects uh, strictly for film. Uh, we thought we'd get a lot more guidance on this one. But uh, when we actually got into the logistics of <clears throat> submitting everything to Seed and Spark, it seemed like a very small platform. Uh, therefore, you know, startups who who want a small budget, like ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and they it seems like they kind of keep their uh, the people who go on their platform. It kind of keeps them pigeonholed into that type of thing. They're really encouraging us to lower our goal. Uh, it's really limiting of what you could put on there and, and what your visual presentation was very limiting. And uh, they weren't very, uh, very proactive in guiding us through that. So then I jumped over to Indiegogo just to test it out. And I instantly liked uh, their layout more, uh, more freedom to have to have a visual presentation. Uh, we can put more videos on the main page. Uh, and it also 
has a very large horror crowd and a lot of people who go into Indiegogo just searching for projects to to contribute to. So that's why we ended up finally switching to Indiegogo. All right. And also, like uh, again, uh, seeing some of your posts. I, I, all I this is the first time talking to you, which is uh, great, by the way. But uh, a lot of what I know about you is what I see on your posts, and you seem very um, passionate about this. I, this feels like uh, uh, this is something you've been building to for a while, and you really want it to happen. Can you kind of uh, go through your journey being a filmmaker? Because I know you've done some shorts. And uh, yeah. what what are some uh, successes and failures you've had leading up to this point? Well, the, the first thing I did, uh, I started on it in 2008 and didn't finish it until 2010. It was this, a movie, Stab Awake. And that's where I made all my rookie mistakes, first of all. Uh, I'm still very proud of it, but I made it a 35-minute slasher. And shorts just aren't 35 minutes. I ended up. Uh, almost getting into five different major festivals. And they, they told me it's down between either picking you or two other filmmakers because your short is so long. So I made that rookie mistake. Uh, the cast was too big. It was a cast of 16. I took them all the way up to Sequoia and rented a cabin and fed everyone. So I just spent way too much money. <laughs> I was way too ambitious when I wrote it. And, uh, I hired a DP that, that ended up kind of hijacking the project and stealing the footage. We had to go physically get it back from him. So I, I, I learned a lot. Hold on. I got to step you there. Go into that. What was that all about? Well, uh, I got this DP and, uh, I think his motivation was he didn't care about the project at all. He just wanted to come on and get some footage for his reel. So he was overlighting everything. We had a party scene that I wanted kind of dark with a lot of shadows and stuff. And he was putting, he was mounting spotlights in the rafters of the cabin, taking hours and hours to set up this one party scene. That's a small part of the movie. And I kept trying to talk him into, you know, moving on and trying to tell him that this is a very small production, very small budget. So we can't afford to overlight everything. And, and, and he was flooding the, the uh, scene with light anyway. So then uh, because of that, because of the delays, I had to take it because we were, we were supposed to get that all done in one weekend. But because of that, only half of it got done, less than half of it got done. So I had to take all 16 people back up there. And he started making demands, said that he is not going to film anything else until I hire at least three people and they can't be my friends. They have to be, be paid at least 150 bucks a day. And and he just basically telling me this said, this is my footage, not yours. <laughs> it sounds like someone that doesn't know what time it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, look, if we're doing a $15 million movie, cool, but we're not. So, And it, it was it was stressful at the time. But looking back on it, I, I was glad that I had those nightmares on my first project. Cause it, it was a crash course in filmmaking basically. Uh, so after that, I, I got a, I got my own camera so I wouldn't have to hire these DPs anymore. <laughs> and, uh, that's when I did the campsite, which is third, uh, cut it in half, a 13 minute short film. I learned my lesson there. Uh, and I, fi- I filmed it mostly, most, most of it myself and played the villain. So, uh, uh, when I wasn't on the, uh, screen, then one of the other actors would, would hold the camera. So that was fairly successful. I mean, uh, just as far as uh, 
spreading it out there. Like, uh, like for instance, uh, Stab Awake is big in rural Michigan because the main actress in it, Kate Zoya, she's from she's from this small town in Michigan, and then they put they put they put ten copies of it in a local video store. Yeah. So every everyone started renting it, renting it in that area, and then the last time I went to that area, people were actually recognizing me in the stores and stuff. <laughs> so uh, I after that I went and I started developing a horror variety show, and that's the one that Elliot ended up hosting. Uh, I developed it for a I won't say their names. I don't want to uh, talk bad about them, but yeah, uh, I started working with a studio, and it was a new platform where they had a, a patented technology to where you could pull products and stuff out of the out of the videos and like like uh, it was a new way of monetizing basically mm. so they kind of strung me along when i was working with them for free developing the show building their sets uh, uh planning parties for them and everything and it was I, I worked for them for seven years and at the end of the seven years i started saying you know i need to start getting paid i can't do this anymore and when are we going to launch so they still have yet to launch and they tried to get me to do more free work they gave me like uh they gave me like five thousand word articles to write and i said okay we're going to start getting paid for this they said no no once we launch you'll start getting paid so i left there and i went i took the show to american horrors uh it's a roku channel so there uh we didn't have a studio we didn't have a budget or anything but we just went for it because the guy gave us a chance to be on there so in 2019 we put out uh two seasons it was 24 episodes and we took the channel from like eight to ten thousand viewers up to four million in the first year wow that's good yeah that, and so that's uh, great actually <laughs> so i i thought that was that was my chance to finally be a real success in the horror genre but then i don't know what happened with contracts or or um uh the commercials that he signed me up for or what but i ended up not making one dime out of it so i pulled the show off of there and it just so happens around that time i got a chance to do a uh a feature film it's called pay up it's coming out in february and uh this guy chet turner he's a um He's a, a professor and analyst at uh, Yale. So he was looking for someone to do this really disturbing short film. And uh, he just had like a seed of an idea and he gave it to me and I ran with it. And then the way I wrote it out, it was, had potential for a feature. So he didn't give me any more money. Like the, the, uh, the budget he was giving me for a, for a 20, 20 to 30 minute short, he was giving me $4,000. And then when I developed it and he seen the potential for a feature, he said, yeah, make it like that. Make it a feature. And then he wouldn't give me any more, any more uh, budget though. <laughs> so I ended up doing a feature film for $4,000. And uh, that was right before the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, that's when I couldn't get it into theaters. That, that was my, that was my way of getting that one out there. Cause it's very controversial. It has a, it has male nudity in it. It has a very gruesome, a surgery in it double it's, thumbs up on both of those <laughs> <laughs> so so like uh the smaller distributors wouldn't touch it because uh the only distributors that handle stuff like that are are, are the ones that handle just straight exploitation where it's just 
wall-to-wall blood and guts, but that's not what the movie is. It only has that one surgery scene. So we had all this nightmare finding a distribution deal. And finally, one of my short films, um, Extended Scare Package, got chosen by Joe Bob Briggs in his first annual Mutant Fest. That's awesome. So uh, we went out to Pennsylvania and went to support that film. And while we were out there, we met a distributor that works a lot with Joe Bob and the movies that he's been in. They checked out the movie. They said it's perfect for their platform. It's Screen Team releasing. So that one comes out uh, February 1st of next year. And when all this, when all this stuff was going on, that's when Steve Deering approached me. Uh, he's my fellow producer. He actually worked with me on, on my horror variety series. So he approached me and he said, I love your writing. I want to keep working with you. So do you have any feature films that you think are, are ready to film? And I said, I just so happen to have this one that I wrote 15 years ago and I've been preparing for it ever since. And I think I'm finally ready after uh, that feature film and after the uh, variety series. So here we are. And uh, I decided to make it crowdfunding because we could have put probably less work in and gotten a deal with the studio because I do have some connections and stuff. But then we'd have to kind of hand it over to them and it it would be a lot of uh, uh, a lot of control over it. You got hosed enough in the past that it's like, yeah, we're not doing that again sort of thing. Sounds Exactly. And and also. it's going to be a trilogy. The dead place is. Yeah. So, uh, I wrote it as it was almost 200 pages when I first wrote it. And then over the years, as I learned the ropes, then I realized when I look back at the script that it had three very distinctive, very different tones that it explored. And I did that on purpose. So then when I realized that I could split it into a trilogy and then I could explore each one of those themes more in depth, then it became doable because there's no way I was going to do that one whole long movie. But once I split it, then this first part is manageable on a low budget. You know, we're, we're, we're looking for 35 to 50,000. So it can be done on a low budget. And then uh, if I, if we prove ourselves and make a great uh, indie film, indie horror film, then the fans will come along and they'll help don't help donate to part two. Awesome. And I, I was kind of inspired by uh, Terrifier, which, like I said, David Howard Thornton's in our movie. I was uh, inspired by them because the first Terrifier was exactly what we're looking for, between thirty-five and 50000 So uh, um, when, when they proved themselves with that first film and they started getting a lot of fans, they opened up a crowdfunding for part two and it went crazy. And they ended up making seven times their budget. And then now it's the most talked about indie horror film of the year and it's going into theaters unrated which hasn't been done very much before it's it's two and a half hours in theaters unrated yeah two and a half hours unrated it's supposed to be wall-to-wall gore and even amc is releasing it and it's it's kind of an unprecedented thing because they're they're releasing it where it's available on these days but not these days yeah only only certain days and certain theaters but they ended up getting in like like 70 theaters across the across the US. Is it kind of, is it kind of like a not necessarily fathom events but is it like one of those things where it's like a special engagement sort of thing? Kind of like that, yeah. All right. And it's it's blown up even more huge than they thought it was. Like uh, they had a big premiere at Fantastic Fest and stuff yeah. like that. So and it, we actually didn't I know it looks like we kind of planned it to where 
our crowdfunding campaign launches launches on October 4th and then Terrifier 2 releases on October 6th. But we actually were supposed we were supposed to launch back in August. Yeah. And then it took it took me a while to find this cast and then get uh David Howard Thornton secured. So it, uh, you know, the process of getting everybody secured kind of took longer than I thought, so we kind of pushed it to October 4th and it just so happened to be right near the release I, of Terrifier 2. They, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, if the if the uh, you know, if everything lines up perfectly like that, fucking roll with it. Why not? That's right. And I'm 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 doing my best not to be tacky about it, you know, not to No, be super uh, tacky about it. Be as tacky <laughs> as you can. <laughs> but uh so I I guess uh what what are some of uh what what are some uh, movies that you kinda have in mind like uh the uh, obviously you're a horror guy. Yeah. With some of the kind of movies and directors and so on and so forth that you kind of kind of lean towards. Uh, well, I I love uh, the Santa Sangre by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yes. Uh, it's a beautiful horror film. It's very colorful, but it's also very dark. Uh, it's very disturbing and graphic. And that's kind of what I want in my movies. I like I like a lot of darkness. I like the blacks to be black in my horror films and then with splashes of color. So I like that. Um, in the Mouth of Madness, I'm inspired by because of the mutated creatures and the the kind of demonic world that it that it creates. Uh, I love the the emotion and the the uh, the story of Ginger Snaps and the mood of it. Yeah. Um, I was I was actually inspired by Ginger Snaps for the score of of my movie Stab Awake. So if, so if anybody watches Stab Awake, you'll notice. Uh, that the that the uh, score is is uh, inspired by Ginger Snaps. Uh, there's also Pondy Pool. Oh, it's just yeah. uh, you know one. the the solid writing, you know, with layers and and the originality, uh, the brutality of something like Frontiers, that uh, French extreme extreme horror film. And recently, uh, last year, the year before, The Dark and the Wicked. It's from Brian Bertino. It's the director of uh, The Strangers. All right. I, I really love the mood of that one. And uh, um, so basically movies with a lot of darkness to them, but also a lot of color and a, a lot of uh, disturbing themes and that's that's uh, not afraid to be emotional, but it's not also not afraid to be over the top with the gore and the, the uh, like mutated demons and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to marry, you know, drama and action with uh like exploitation and kind of uh kind of a monster movie type of thing yeah and also the and and like i said i haven't seen too many of your shorts but the ones i've seen have uh i have a good bit of comedy in it too um uh like is this not is this kind of less that you think or well, uh, a lot of the shorts I've been releasing are from my horror variety show. So we did try to lean toward the comedy on that one. And this one does have comedy because I just as a writer, I just have that sense of humor as a writer that that. Uh, but the humor that's in the dead place is the humor that creeps up in life. You know okay. what I mean? It's 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 not exactly a comedy, but it's just the the humor of the characters and the. The new kid is a villain, but he's he's kind of a funny, uh, sadistic, sadistically funny villain. Yeah, it's not like bow wow bow jokes. 
<laughs> no. kind of, uh, oh, that's it. That was, uh, like he's, <laughs> he's, he's just funny and cocky and, and sure of himself. And, uh, actually David Howard Thornton's agent was even really excited about the movie because it baffles her that David Howard Thornton has a background in theater where he, he played, uh, Grandpa Who in like three tours of, of, uh, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah. So, and he played uh, the Joker in a popular fan film. And uh, so his background was in the theater and being a very animated type of actor. And then he becomes known for being a mute clown who doesn't say anything. So she's really <laughs> excited for him to be another villain, but this one is wisecracking and kind of sarta- sarcastic villain. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I hope the uh, crowdfunding goes well, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this and the re- the rest of your shorts. That the and in fact, uh, where can people find your shorts and where where can see they see some of your work? Uh, you can go on our Facebook page. Uh, we, we got a pretty big Facebook page for uh, Horror Show Pictures is my production company. So if if you go to uh, Facebook.com/slash Pickles Horror Show, my my last name is Pickle. So just go on there, uh, facebook.com slash pickles horror show, and we'll post everything on there. And then, uh, there's a, a Facebook group that's exclusive, uh, for, the, for the movie. So people can go on there and just search, search the dead place. So you can go on the horror show pictures page and link to the group. And then we have all the exclusive content and stuff with there. Like, like we're going to do an, uh, uh, crowdfunding, I mean, the, uh, fundraising event yeah. where we go to a local theater. And we're going to have a little mini uh, horror film festival. Oh, that's awesome. If, if, you know, if we reach a certain amount in the middle of October and then everyone in the group is invited for free. What, so what, like, what are you thinking of playing at the film festival and where is it? Uh, we're, we're thinking about the Frida in Santa Ana, California. All right. It's kind of a trendy little theater there. And if we don't go there, we'll probably go to one of the little uh, like music box theater up in LA, but we'll, we'll post a, uh, all that and the updates on the page and all that. Awesome. So, um, yeah, we'll probably have, uh, probably post that on the cinematics and, um, yeah, just have, Oh, Oh, fucking duh. I'm an idiot. When, uh, <laughs> when, when does the, uh, Indiegogo campaign start and how much are you looking to raise for the whole thing? Uh, the Indiegogo campaign launches October 4th. And we're looking to 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 raise at least thirty five thousand. That's the minimum of what we can raise. That that's so, uh, we'll we'll get the movie done by the scrape of our teeth, but hopefully you go over that. Yeah, okay. like uh, the the budget that I'll be comfortable with is fifty thousand. But right. if I have to, we'll pull our team together, pull all our resources together, and get it done for thirty five thousand. Well, I, I hope you're successful because I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And, and again, just watching the few shorts that I have, there's, uh, there, there's some fun things and it'd be fun to see what you can do with, cause your, uh, your videos on YouTube are, as far as I can tell, zero budget. So it'll be fun to see like what you can get out of your mind with the actual budget and do things, um, with actual, you know, something behind you, I think. Yeah, like I said, when we did the when we had the chance to do the horror variety show, we we were stripped of our studio. We didn't have any budget or anything, so we just went for it with absolutely no budget, just our creativity. Yeah, that's great. And then and then when I got a chance to do a feature film, four thousand dollars, and I'm doing twenty one pages a day. So then <laughs> I saw my chance. Like, all right, 
I got a feature film under my belt. Let's go straight forward with the dead place and let's do this. Let's get a fifty thousand dollars going. You're, you're you're a goddamn beast. I I don't think many people <laughs> I don't think people uh, appreciate how awesome that is. Um, I, I guess I'll end with uh. So um, on our podcast, Bruce has a box uh that he pulls movies out of that we watch every week. So I will ask you: Is there a movie that's kind of uh not many people seen that you? Maybe something from your childhood. Maybe something you saw recently that you think uh, should probably get more eyeballs on it. Uh, there's one that I always tell people to watch: Plague Town. Plague Town. It's from 2008. It was really inspiring to me because it's it came out around the time that uh, I started into filmmaking to, around 2008. Uh, so it's Plague Town. It's it's directed by David Gregory. He's the founder of Severin Films. All right that that name sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's it's a super low budget. Uh, uh, Tate Steinsick from uh, Face Off, from that Face Off makeup competition. All right, he does. Oh, okay. Does I, I, I was thinking of Nick. You're talking about the sci-fi TV show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he does the effects, makeup effects on it, and it's just so inventive and so creepy and unnerving. And for for such a low budget, and you 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 know you can tell it's very low budget, but it's but it, the level of creepiness he's able to achieve like the best effect on there i think is when these children get together and they kind of run these twig this a uh, vine into this guy's eye socket and out behind his nose and back out the other eye socket and then they oh, hang him a- from a tree they hang him from a tree by his eye sockets <laughs> <laughs> dude that's sweet that's so sweet <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was great having you on. And uh, if you want, you're totally invited to come back. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe towards the end of your crowdfunding campaign, maybe we'll uh, push it again. And then after it comes out, but I am really looking forward to the dead place. And uh, I hope you're successful because you seem like a really cool guy. And I can tell that you got a lot of passion for what you do. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. All right, man. Take care. We're back. Vesper, how do you guys read the final ending of Vesper? We're assuming people have already seen this, all the all the uh, immersive storylines. We have Vesper. She's What is the name of the subset of human beings who actually cover their faces? I don't even know their names, the but they're pilgrims. basically the pilgrims. Very good, yeah. Eric Holmes. So at the end, she – look, one thing, I don't know if you guys agree with me. I love the, how the ending where you're automatically assuming she's going to go with the jug or the Judd or the jug played by Rosie McEwen. They would have a nice little family, little atomic family going on. But did you guys appreciate how that doesn't happen? The jug ends – that's the tragic fate. She ends up being sort of a victim of the Citadel. Did you like yeah. the fact that she doesn't end up in the happy place at the end? What do you guys think of that? Uh yeah, I, I I was kind of uh, I thought they would put more emphasis on her mom uh, because her mom ran away with the pilgrims, and I'm assuming that was her mom at the beginning, the first pilgrim we see. I I just kind of assumed that was her, oh, and then when she goes, uh, she goes to spread the seeds, like climb the tower and then throw the seeds out um, after they've been unlocked. I thought that uh maybe something would have came to a head there but it didn't but that that's fine i i kind of like the i kind of like the moment of it um just how it was like her just climbing to the top of the mountain and setting everything free 
What about you, Bruce? The creative choice. There's no Camellia who's the jug. She's not going to be the mother figure. Her father obviously dies in that explosion. Is that self explosion to sacrifice himself? And then her uncle, Jonas, played by Eddie Marson. He's just he's an uncle by blood, but he's just a horrible human being. What do you think of her being just alone on herself without the the parental figures with her? Or you know, I, I think it I think it makes sense, and I think narratively it works because you're kind of watching her finally come into her own. That's kind of the whole movie is doing that, right? It's, it's becoming her own person kind of by default to some degree, but having to like be, you know, not dependent on her dad, not taking care of her dad forever, not having all these other things holding her in and being in a sense free, but also in the scary, the scary world, but also in the sense, I guess, quote empowered. So I think it works really well thematically. And once again, I wasn't bothered by some of those, you know, quote loose ends because part of what I love about this is that the world seems bigger than we know, and we're only seeing these little edges of it. So we just, I just trusted the filmmaker by that point to know that all of these things make sense in their head. So it worked for me. And then that final shot of, of the, the seeds that are now sprouted and they're like floating down and they're little seedlings. I thought that was pretty beautiful. Pretty amazing. After she climbs that great tower. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Did you all, we forgot to mention this. Did you guys also, did you find the music that was slathered all throughout the narrative? What, did that, did that enhance it? Did you want less music? Yeah. Cause I, yeah, the, the music was really good. It was kind of like up there with like the, uh, theme song, uh, Norman from Fury, the movie Fury. Right. Um, right. Just sort of like really epic and beautiful sounding. And yeah. Yeah. It is, didn't intrude to me either. I just felt like it went with the world. So well, I, I, I would say it intruded, but. I was like busted in. I'm like, Oh good. You're here. Sweet. Come sit back. To me. Weirdly. I'm weird. I just, it didn't bother me. Sometimes it does bother me. I I didn't even hardly notice it. I just, well, no, I, 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 I mean like uh, it, it's, it stood out for sure, but yeah. I, I, I really, I, I think it enhanced the movie for me. Yeah. And maybe this was just obvious symbolism, but what did you guys think of the end? Okay, so you love the ending, Bruce. She's climbing up that tower, that long wooden tower, through that ladder with the wooden ladder. And she goes, she's at the top. And that there's that look where she looks to one direction and there's a citadel and there's, there's a sprouts. She has a future of tech in her hands. Right. And instead of going – instead of looking at the citadel and she's actually – it could have ended there because that's where she wants to go. You have her looking the other way and throwing where that tech will go, which is – pretty much her home, the people who are trying to subsist on that. Was that an, an obvious piece of symbolism? Did you did you guys read That was my take, that she's she may be not really be looking for the Citadel anymore. She has the stuff in her hand, and she's going to live, stay here, and actually bring fruit to this world. I Eric, didn't pick was, up on that at all, but oh. now that you mention it, it totally works. Because, okay. yeah, the Citadel's over here, but she throws the seeds over here. Yep. That, that's Yeah. Actually, that yeah. works really good. Yeah, I took it as not even symbolism. I just took it as a a literal choice. Like you're literally showing her choice in that moment. So, but I mean, obviously that's what it's saying to us, but I think that it was not even like, it wasn't trying to make it even sneaky. It was just like, I'm not going to go there. And that's where she'd wanted to go the whole time. And she just didn't end up wanting to go there. Can we highlight one other little thing real quick and then hop, hop in. I just want to say how awesome was that, that tense moments in that grass that would kill the guys. Yes. How oh awesome God. was that whole scene? I didn't want to talk about it in our review, yeah. but that was freaking great. Yeah, and I it's, it's be- go, I, I wouldn't go anywhere near that grass if I knew what it did. Look, it's, like, there's, there's red never- grass. 
Red Grass, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Look, there's never going to be a sequel to Vesper, but it, but I think it, it could warrant because the world is so amazing. Yeah. We could find out with the city. I mean, I don't know. Could could there 1% chance? Would you guys welcome a sequel to Vesper if even though it's a closed off ending? I mean, it's it, it's totally a movie like Star Wars. It easily could be. Um, I don't see that happening. Or but Lord of the it, Rings. If it did. Or, yeah. Yeah. I, see, the weird thing is, this is so much like Lord of the Rings, and it's condensed down into one movie. Mm. Like, that is high know. praise, Eric Holmes. Look at that. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna move this thing, and we're gonna we're gonna take this thing and do the hero's journey and get here with it. Uh, even to the point where at the end uh, she climbs Mount Doom. I mean the tower and drops <laughs> yeah. the ring. I mean the seeds into the lava uh, or the forest. <laughs> Very but the, but this does this does all the lawsuit well, lawsuit you can have Tolkien. This is all the be. Lord of, and and this is not the disparage Vesper. In fact, quite the other way around. Um, they managed to get like all the, um, all the good stuff out of Lord of the Rings, and then just condense it down into uh, uh, something that's not a twelve-hour extended cut. So good on you. Good on you. Good on. We all love Vesper. That is our spoiler discussion of Vesper. One more thing, guys. Do you think it would have been a more inspirational thing? My my take on as a as a writer, she keeps the seeds. She gets a one way ticket to Citadel and sells her uh, product to the highest bidder. Do you think that that would have been work? Like that, in the hole? that would be the Greg Sirzavasti story. Okay, the Greg <laughs> It wouldn't be called Vesper. It'd be called Greg Sirzavasti. <laughs> that's that's good. Tell us what you think of Vesper. It was did the did the end of Vesper get you emotional? Is Rafaela Chapman is she a big star? I think she is. I'm going to put my money on her. Actually, well, guys, do you put your money on her as an as an actress in the future? Yeah. Or do you think it's okay? Okay, okay Bruce. Yeah. yeah. I'd say so, yes. I'd say so. We all love Vesper, and we all love you guys. We'll see you next time on Find Your Film.